0: How's everybody doing today? We all right? Okay. I want to send out kids and and youth, you are dismissed, right out the back to your groups. And let's thank God for them as they go. I mean, not that we're happy to get rid of them, but we're happy to have them, right? So uh, we've been in a series on Nehemiah for a little while. Uh, Actually, this is only our second week, not seems like forever for me. Uh, So so the reason why we're getting into Nehemiah right now is because it's a new year, and I felt like the Lord gave me a little, hey, study this right now because we need it. But the whole idea uh, that that we're studying this for is in this new year, in 2022, you will build something. Hopefully, you won't just sit there on the lazy boy. You'll do something this year. The question is, what will it be? And will it be something that matters forever? And who will you build that thing or that process or that project or that endeavor with? And God's given us each other for a reason. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But just be thinking. Have that in the back of your mind. What, What will your life be building this year? What does the Lord want to do through your life? And does it relate to your rock word? So how many of you have a word already for the year? You know, like, this is on my heart, this is on my mind. If you don't have a word yet, just start praying and say, Lord, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me in this year? And ask him for a word that represents that. For some of you, that sounds crazy. You're like, God doesn't speak like that anymore. He does. I, I was with you a number of years ago. I was like, that won't work. It works. And, and as we're humble and faithful and we say, Lord, please lead me, guess what? He does. And ask him for a, for a word to represent what he wants to do. There are rocks and pens in the lobby. Um, here's one way of getting your word if you don't have it. Take a rock and a pen and put it on the passenger seat of your car. And you'll see it several times a day and it will bug you and it will create an opportunity for the Lord to speak to you about what he wants to do. Okay? You with me? Okay. So let's let's review a little bit of last week. We were in Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah is not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's a normal guy and he works in the in the court of the king. And he gets a message from his, his brother and some friends who came from Jerusalem. He says, hey, how are things going in the homeland? And they say it's terrible. The, the walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The people are in disgrace. It's, it's bad. It's not just dangerous. It's disheartening. And so Nehemiah, rather than saying, not my problem, I got a good gig, he weeps. He fasts. He prays for a number of days, and his heart's broken by what, ha- what is happening with the homeland. And so then he steps out in faith, and that's what we're going to get into today. So it's going to be a fun a fun ride. Uh, in fact, let me mention, if if you're on Facebook, and some of you are watching on Facebook right now, just share the service, because I think there are a lot of people home because of COVID that are uh, maybe needing a little encouragement and a little boost right now. So just go to Kaneo Church and share it, and it'll get out there a little bit broader. So let's look at the very end of Nehemiah chapter 1. It says this in verse 11, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then we find out his position. I was cupbearer to the king. So some of you know a little bit about this from ancient history. Cupbearer, very important because people are always trying to kill the king, right? So he has a very important, very trusted job, also kind of a dangerous job. So um, anyway, so that's his spot. So between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Nehemiah, because it gives us dates, four months have passed. So Nehemiah has been praying, he's been fasting, he's been weeping, he's been asking the Lord, what do I do? About this. And he says, give me favor in the presence of my boss. And then he waits. Have you ever had to wait? Right? So he's not sure what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But then um, when God opened the door, Nehemiah was ready to step through it. So let me ask you this before we read these verses. Uh, he, he asked God to do something impossible. The problem was 900 miles away. The problem was unfixable in a way. It was massive. How are you going to rebuild a wall if you're just a guy who lives 900 miles away who's technically a servant somewhere else? Impossible. So you, in your lives, probably have something impossible. Probably every single person in here, remember how many of you raised your hands because you're human and we have needs, right? Probably there's a relationship in your life or a situation in your life, or a person in your life, and it's impossible. You think there's no way that that person will ever come to faith. There's no way that that reconciliation could ever happen. There's no way that that could be restored. That's too broken. And you might say, that's just impossible. That's the situation that we're talking about today. So just identify that in your mind. And if you have that impossible thing, you may want to listen to today's message. Because hopefully it will be helpful to you. So, Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, how many of you drive a Nisan? Okay, a couple, okay. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Interesting, the king is paying attention, right? I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried in lays in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So the king said to me, what is it you want? And I'd love to see a video of this, like a movie, Because I'll bet that's where Nehemiah went, right? Deep breath. What is it you want? The most powerful man in the world says, hey, what can I do to help? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Good move, Nehemiah. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So he opened, he asked for God to open a door. He was ready to step through it. And then in prayer, in humility, in faith, he took the steps, right? Why did the, the king said yes. The king said, sure, I'll help you. Why did the king say yes? I think think we have two answers. One, the obvious one, because God answered Nehemiah's prayer. Give me favor in the eyes of this guy. And I think related to that, Nehemiah wasn't a jerk. He had favor in the eyes of the king already, and then God multiplied that. He used that and went, right? So Nehemiah took another big risk when he said, hey, what do you need? The king king said, how can I help? Nehemiah said, I need a bunch of construction materials. I need letters to get me to and from safely through the lands of our enemies. Uh, and, And the king said, yeah, I'll do all that, and I'll send you with troops as well. And Jonathan and I were talking earlier today about how this was a period in history and a certain king in history that had a vision for expansion and empowerment rather than control and dominance. So it's interesting that even the, the things happen all in the right moment in time, not just God working in the heart of a king in this moment, but God working through the heart of a king to do a lot of things during this period. So, Verse 10, so, so Nehemiah heads to Jerusalem with this entourage, right, to get stuff done, and all the, all the lumber and, and materials have been supplied. Troops are going, so this is a bunch of people going. And then he gives the, the letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates to get from Mesopotamia, and, you know, from per, the Persian Empire over down to Israel. And on his way, the bad guys hear about what's happening. And verse 10 the enemies are not happy that someone is looking out for Jerusalem and wants to rebuild it and looking out for the needs of the Jewish people. So we're going to come back to that in a couple of weeks. Verse 13, Nehemiah did not tell anybody why he was there for a few days. I thought I it would be kind of interesting to see how that was. They're like, hey, Nehemiah, so what are you doing in Jerusalem? And he's like, family business. And I wonder what he said. You know, what would have been his answer? I, I can't tell you. Uh, you'll find out in a few days. Uh, see if you can guess. So so he shows up. He goes out at night sneaking around around the city walls. They must have thought he was nuts because it was not a safe time. He goes sneaking around, checking out the walls to survey the damage. Some of it's so bad he can't ride a horse through it. He has to leave his mount behind, and he keeps just checking it all out. And, and I have a picture in my mind of him weeping while he's checking things in the dark and just realizing how bad this really, he thought it was bad, and it realized over a couple of days how bad it really was. So verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in Disgrace. I think that's an interesting word right there because it's not let's rebuild the walls so that we can be strong, so that we can be safe, so that the future looks good for our kids, so that we're not in disgrace because the city was their national identity. It was also their religious identity. It was the walls around the temple where the living God dwelled. And, and now that the people were in disgrace and their nation and their religion were in disgrace. And so this is a big deal that he's talking about. So verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said. So he doesn't just say, hey, you guys, you want to do this thing? He says, let me tell you what's going on. Big picture. God blessed me. He answered my prayer. Check this out. The king is paying for it. And, and we have his protection, sort of, to get this done. So they all replied, yeah, let's do it. Let's start rebuilding. And they began this good work. Verse 19, guess what happens again? The enemies. They ridiculed all of them and Nehemiah and threatened them. And Nehemiah says, hey, get lost. And we'll talk more about that when? In a couple of weeks. Okay. I'm glad you're paying attention. So there are some big lessons we can learn from this chapter so far. Think again right now about an area of your life that feels stuck. A person will uh, never get past this. They'll never overcome that addiction. They'll never... A relationship that can never be reconciled will never have... Mm-hmm. Right? It's impossible. A situation with health or finances or uh, employment, None. Nah, nah, Just keep that in mind, and let's talk about this passage. So four things that we're going to check out from this passage. First one is this. Pray and ask God to open doors. So it's probably, the thing in your mind probably is impossible for you. As a human being marching around on planet Earth, that reconciliation, that restoration, that healing probably is impossible for you. But not for him. So that's kind of a good starting place where we say, okay, I'm, I'm right that it's impossible, but God's inviting me to believe for what's impossible. Are you with me? Are you sure? Okay. So he is powerful enough and he is caring enough to answer in very specific ways. Nehemiah said, give me favor with this guy. What did God do? Gave him favor with that guy in fact, gave him more favor with that guy than he even thought was possible. So I have had that happen in my life where I'll pray something and I'll hope something and then God does it plus two. And I'm like, wait, what? You actually answered the prayer more than I asked for? But don't we do that with our kids? We want to bless our kids. We want to love our kids. We want our kids to thrive. So that's not saying that God's going to give you twice as much money as you ask for what it is saying is God's going to love you more than you expect. That's just true. Some things are too we feel like are too big to bring to him? Nothing's too big for him. The word says nothing's impossible for our God. Some things we feel like are too small to bring him or too petty or if it bugs you, it can bug him too. Now, Michelle and I were talking this week about sometimes we pray about bunions and and you know little issues in our lives, and we're like, "Yeah, but God, you got to fix the." Sometimes we got to get beyond ourselves because sometimes we're just petty. But but if there is something in your life that's bugging you and it continually is bugging you, it's on your heart, it's on your mind. Bring it to Him, even if it seems insignificant, because He loves you. Now, um, one of my favorite passages about asking and praying is Matthew seven, and and Jesus says, and. and I, some of you have memorized it but ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened, right? You've, you've heard that, right? Do you know what comes next? It says if, if a son asks a father for something good, a father's not going to give him something bad. And that's just not how it works. And so he says, even though you earthly fathers know how to give something good to your sons and daughters, how much more? Would God in heaven, if you brought him something humbly and in faith and say, I really need your help, how much more is he going to give the good to you in your life, right? Okay, 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, what does it say? Shoot, right? But what if I want something and I don't know if it's his will? And ask him. Well, what if I want something and I know it's not his will? Then you're probably not going to get it, right? So how do we know his will? Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can read it later. So there are ways to tune in with God's will through his word, through his spirit, through obedience, through time. You can figure out, oh, this is probably consistent with his will. If it's not selfish, often it's, it's consistent with his will. Notice Nehemiah was not, give me favor in the eyes of this man so that I can have the second biggest palace in, in, in Persia. No. Give me favor in the eyes of this man so that your city and your people can be restored, so hope can come back. Now we're talking, right? That's where prayers really get answered when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we're trying to help somebody else. At James Storehouse, and Jessie's here, she works at James Storehouse, but... They have miracles all the time. It's like, it's like miracles are as common as like floor tiles. I mean, it's like every day they're like, well, you know, I don't know how we're going to get 16 bunk beds this week. And then somebody calls and they have 16 bunk beds this week. And I mean, funny, there were triplets that they needed car seats of a certain size and style and everything for. And, and they were on the phone like, I don't know if we're going to get these. And then somebody called and was like, oh, I've got three um, on the way to you—is that do, do you need that? Like, this kind of thing just happens all the time, and and here's why: because it's not about taking care of their own needs; it's about loving and serving somebody else. When we're loving and serving somebody else, it's like the the there's an open heaven, and our Father just loves to bless and give favor and and provision. Am I right? It's it's just downright fun. Okay. So, so let's, let's get on with, uh, with where we are with that verse. So it says in verse 15, and we know that he, that he hears us. If he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. So there's this funny thing that happens in Scripture where um, there are promises everywhere that if you ask, it will be given. In our lives, sometimes we ask and we're not given. And then we go, oh, well, that must not be true. But what what God wants to invite us into is this conversation with him of, hey, I don't see the answer. What does that mean? And where the Lord can, can coach us and give us faith and give us courage to take the next step in prayer to believe that he may do that a different way than what we expect. Here's one way that that plays out. If you pray for someone's physical healing, and they are not healed of cancer, and you freak out, like right? Like, God, I thought you said you would, and you didn't, right? What if the conversation is more like, God, what are you up to in this situation? Why, because why is my sister not healed? What's going on? And what if the conversation comes with the Lord that he's up to something bigger than just cancer? In our lives, cancer is like here. And in, in God's mind, he's like, that's part of you. Your physicality is part of you. But I'm, I'm worried about, I'm concerned about, God speaking, your relationships, your future, how, how tight you are with me. I'm concerned with your emotions and your mental state. And he, he is way ahead of us on the healing of a person. So, so I've, I still pray for specific healing in somebody's life. And I also pray, Lord, help me see what's going on so I know how to pray. Right on? Okay. So once he once we pray, once we bring it to him, we need to make be sure we're ready to step through when he answers. I I have I can't tell you how many times I prayed for like my relationships with my neighbors or with somebody in my family, and then got up at the door and I'm like, uh, oh, I wasn't, I didn't think you'd actually answer that, you know. Um, I remember we were praying as a small group. Uh, a few years back for the next door neighbor of the, the people who lived there. And was going through all kinds of just junk in their relationship and, you know, mental issues, all kinds of stuff happening. So we're praying for him. And then and then um, a, a couple of us, you know, the kids ran by us. So we, we looked up, you know, from, from our prayer or whatever. And he's outside at the glass knocking while we're praying for him. None of us even know the guy. And we're like, is that the guy? And my friend's like, yeah, that's the guy go talk to him. Sometimes God answers our prayers like, and we're not ready for it. And I love how Nehemiah was, as soon as God gave him favor, opened the door, and Nehemiah's like, deep breath, deep prayer, here I go. Pray and believe that God will answer and be ready when he does, right? Don't just go through the motions. Number two is this, start from where you are, not from where you wish you were. Nehemiah walked around the wall and went, yeah, this this is bad. And it didn't give him despair. He could have looked at it and went, oh, wow, you know, maybe I should go back to the drawing board. Maybe we don't really build the wall. Maybe we do something different. But he, he assessed the situation, and he went forward anyway. When we are building our lives, when we're rebuilding something that's broken in a relationship, We have to be honest. Look in the mirror. What was my part in this? How bad is this? Start from where we are, not from where we wish we were. God knows where you are. I mean, it's not like putting on a happy face and going, isn't it great, God? And he's like, no, it's not. It's pretty broken. You messed this one up, but I want to help you, right? Um, Some of you need to hear this too. Um, Sometimes people feel like, I can't get things ready uh, right with Jesus because, well, I'm too messed up. I'm too dirty. I have this going on in my life. I, I, once I get things cleaned up, then I'll go talk to him. That's like, that's like getting cleaned up before you go in the shower. That's like cleaning your house before the cleaning lady comes. How many of you ever... That? That's nuts, okay? So, so some of you need to hear this. You don't get your act... Uh, straightened out before you come to Jesus. He cleans you up. He straightens you up. Start from where you are. Say, Lord, I'm a mess. And he goes, I know. I've been waiting for you to admit it. And then he says, I want you anyway. I want to love you. I want to be in you. I want to make your life mine. And we just got to say yes and let him clean us up. Some of you need to hear that right now online. I feel it. Okay. Okay three, don't go alone. So I think it's interesting that Nehemiah did not tell the people who, was, who were going to help him rebuild why he was there. He already knew. I can't do this alone. I'm going to have to get all these people involved. And some of them are going to like it and some of them are not going to like it. But we're going to do this together. And he knew that ahead of time. So let me ask you this, who are your people? Well, I don't know if I really have people. Well, you probably have people The question is, do you have the right people? So if God's calling you to rebuild something in your life to be about uh, some healing, some restoration, something that seems impossible, you will not be able to do this alone. You will need people, his people, in your corner, in your life, to pray along with you, to believe along with you so you don't lose hope. And, and, And the cool part is, then you get to celebrate together when this thing is working out and you get to be frustrated together and you're not alone when it looks like it's not working out. So does anybody know about a football game happening today? So so there's some kind of a game uh, starting at 12, I heard about it. You won't be out of here in time. No, I'm, ju- I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So so what would happen if if the quarterback of the Rams, Stafford, what what would happen if he went out alone today? against Tampa Bay. How would he do? Hospital, at best, death, worst, (laughs) right? But it it wouldn't go well. It wouldn't even be fun to watch. So, and same thing. I mean, Tom Brady, he's got it going on, right? Unless he's taking on a whole team. I think the Rams are gonna pull this one out. I hope so. Okay, anyway, so, but here's the picture. Sometimes in our lives, we're like, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. I can do this. Here I, here I go. And, and our enemy is like, awesome. She's trying to do it alone. I got her now. And then maybe it's hospital. You give up, right? And you're like, I'm hurt. I'm not going to try that again. You lose faith. You lose courage in the Lord, even though it was your fault. Or maybe it's death. Maybe something really bad happens that's irreversible because you tried to do all this stuff alone. Let me take this another level. How many of you have heard of a thing called COVID? Would you raise your hand? Okay. So there have been some good results of this pandemic season where some of us have gotten serious about our faith. There's been a lot of um, changeover and changes in churches and in Christians gathering. Some stuff has been good. Some of us got to garden. Some of us got reacquainted with our families, right? But here's a bad, a whole mess of isolation. A whole bunch of people that still are not up for being with others. And and here's the problem. We're created as social beings. God exists in community, himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is not alone. So how do we think we can pull it off? We're creating his image. Need each other. The body of Christ is a corporate picture. All of the pictures of us as Christians are cooperative and corporate and group. We're the body and the building and the army and the, right? All this stuff. So so I feel like the enemy has um, given us this lie that you and Jesus is all you need and just you can, you can be fine. Just you and him, and then you go to heaven, and no worries. It's all fine. The problem is that you're going to be frustrated and alone. You're not going to have power in prayer. You're not going to have power to rebuild stuff alone. It's not how it works. And the enemy gets his way by spreading us all out. So what happens? How many of you like to barbecue? A few of you? So if old-school barbecue, you have all the briquettes, Right? and they're right in their place, and they're self-lighting, and it's kind of exciting, right? Okay? What happens if you spread them all out a foot apart each? How well does that work out? You're not cooking anything. That's what the enemy has done with the body of Christ the last 30 years, not two. He has split up the body of Christ, made us not trust each other, not, not want to be together, not want to be plugged in, not want to use our gifts, not want to pray with each other, not want to be accountable, all that stuff, right? And then the last two years has been <laughs> even more. Like he's just stomping on all these cold coals. So what happens if the coals get back together? Even if they don't look very good, they get hot. I remember going to the beach down at Sycamore, and it was like 8 in the morning, and I stepped on somebody's coals from the day before, Hello, they still have life in them. Right? I think it still hurts. It hurts to tell you that story. So the the Lord wants us to come back together. And 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 I'm not saying come back together right now so you can all get COVID right away. No. Be smart. And and if you're at home and you're you're riding this out right now, this little wave because you don't want to bring it home to a loved one and get them sick and whatever, great. You have to work harder to stay connected. If you show up here in person, it's easier to stay connected. If you're at home or working from home, churching from home, everything from home, you are going to have to use your phone more than I am to stay in touch with people, to pray with people, to see how they're doing, to maintain this cohesion in the body of Christ, which we've lost, okay? Anybody? Amen. Amen. So some of you out online, I love you, and the Lord does, and he wants you to stay connected. So figure out what that means for you. And if you're isolated from fear and from worry and from whatever, bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, I bring you this, and I ask that you would rebuild my country. I ask that you would rebuild our family and our family of faith. Amen. Okay. Now, number four, here's the last one. You will face opposition when you rebuild something, as long as it's something important. If you have no opposition, it's probably, it's, you're probably building a wimpy thing. But if there's something beautiful, something powerful, something eternal that God wants to do, I've talked to a few of you in this room who have a broken relationship, a, a, a broken ex-marriage, a broken thing with a, a daughter or a son or a parent, and you're like, hmm, Man. If you go into that water because God's calling you to restore some stuff, you're going to be opposed because the enemy will fight you on this, and human nature will fight you on this. But I love what Nehemiah did when he was challenged. He said, my God is going to do this. He didn't say, I'm tough enough. He didn't say, talk to the hand. He said, God is going to give us success. Nehemiah 6.15 Check this out. So even though all of this happened, even though the opposition came, even all the junk flew in Nehemiah's face that we'll talk about in a couple weeks. The wall was completed in the year 444 BC, how it says is on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. The impossible was done in 52 days, okay? That's not bad, 52 days of hard, darn work that we'll talk about the next few weeks. The year, if we do the math, is 444 B.C. Can you say that out loud? Okay, so we know that this is actually true because archaeological remains were found in 2007 in the city of Jerusalem, and it's interesting, previous to that, they had not found Nehemiah's wall. So if you read some stuff from the 80s and 90s, all these really smart scholars are like, Ah, the Bible's false. Look, here's proof. Right? They never found Nehemiah's wall. Well. They, they all talked like that, really mean. Okay? And so, but check this out. In 2007, this see in the red square, that tower looks like newer construction. It was tipping over. And so the archaeologists had to rebuild it because it's like, obviously, this thing's like 2,500 years old. We've got to fix it. So they get under there. They do build, build all these little supports. That, that start falling apart, the thing starts falling apart. And then they look under it and they're like, wait, this is part of a wall. So they found Persian period, Nehemiah's wall, that tower and the stuff under it is all part of Nehemiah's wall. It just had been built on top of it and the stuff on top of it was precious so they didn't want to dig under it, right? Because these are all artifacts from you know 2,400 years ago and then they dug down and they're like, oh wait, these are older, so they found, Uh, some pottery and um, some arrows, some dog skeletons. That's interesting. But they found some cool stuff down under here, and it's clear that it's all Persian period. So Nehemiah's wall, I mean, look it up. It's everywhere. No one is arguing about did they find it, did they not. So now the plot thickens, okay? So Jerusalem being rebuilt was part of a prophecy, from a few years previous in the book of Daniel. So, book of Daniel, if you have your Bible, look at Daniel 9. You won't believe this part. This is super cool. So, you've heard of the 77s, some of you before, right? So, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin... To atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. These are, this is not like normal, earthly, simple things. It's not like you're going to have seven horses and you're going to have eight barns. These are some big spiritual concepts. To seal up vision and prophecy, which literally means to fulfill it or put a stamp on it. And to anoint the most holy place. Interesting, that word can mean holy place or holy one. Hmm. Look at verse 25. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. When did that happen? Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to restore the city. Okay. Until the anointed one, who's that? Probably the Messiah, right? Until he comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. How many sevens is that complete total? 69 sevens. Okay. Okay. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. So if we do a little math, we put seven sevens and 62 sevens, those are years together, and we come up with 483 years. Now here's a funny thing. We have how many days in our calendar? 365 plus some leap years right? So, in the Jewish calendar, how many days are in a year? 360. So, if we multiply that out, we get 6.6 to 7 years difference in the date, okay? So, if we take 483, which we just had, minus 7 for the wrong calendar, because Americans have the wrong calendar, okay? They had the right one, amen? Okay. We come up with 476. What year did Nehemiah finish the wall? 444. So 444 minus or plus 476 years puts us at AD 32. Wait a minute. How did that just happen? Right? Now, I was skeptical. I met with my dad at Stonehouse because he was all excited about this passage. And so we got together this past week. And he showed it to me. He showed me the numbers. And I'm like, yeah, right. They would have taught me that in seminary. So then we looked through it. And then I did some research. And I did some more research, some more research. Because I never want to give you something that's like just on the internet. Right? So I went deep, deep dive into this. I read like books that I don't, I understand books. I read books I don't understand this, this week for you. <laughs> so, man, I got some commentaries that are just like, oh, my brain hurts. So, so, But I was looking through all all the numbers and stats and numerology. It's real. So it literally lines up to the date when Jesus died on the cross. And if you look at the first part of that verse, atonement, the end of sin, and then you look at the last part of the verse, this person will be cut off in the holy city, and the holy one will be cut off in the holy city. That's what Daniel was talking about and it's where Nehemiah went to do the work. It is in that city that all that happened. And so so if you're a skeptic, if you're a a critic, if you're just a smart person who likes to just doubt all kinds of stuff, I don't know if there's another way to explain this. I've been searching my mind, I don't think there is. There isn't another way to do the 69 sevens and figure out what that means and to figure out a different date. And, and even if you do, you're going to be two or three years off, and it's going to have the same idea, but you're not going to be confident in your date versus this date. It's it's fascinating how it just lines up exactly with Christ. Who, what, when, where, why—all covered by that prophecy. Nothing is left to question. So, I, I got to say this: What does God have to do to convince you that He has a plan? And that that these things in the Old Testament lead up, point to Christ coming. And that the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem is all part of this plan of the city, the nation being reestablished, and then the Messiah coming and dying in that very place. It's all part of the plan. And we are still part of this plan. We have to figure out how our part fits in what God is doing ongoing on our planet. So I want to ask the band to come up as I, as I wrap this up. So let's go back to the beginning. What is it in your life that feels broken, that feels stuck? And, and just imagine yourself being like Nehemiah. You're looking at that thing in your life, and you're like, yeah, but God, look. L- look, at, look, at, look at this part of the wall. Like, it, this is not good. And, and and look this has been burned like this how do we repair that and but remember what we talked about we got to be real we have to in prayer and in conversation with the Lord say lord I feel like you've put this on my heart that needs fixing and it always is a source of pain or a source of doubt or a source of frustration so lord give me the courage to go in there with you and assess it and just right now just in prayer just Say, Lord, what will it take to rebuild that? So i got to tell you a funny story. So I have a good friend, and his parents split up when he was um, in high school. And it was a painful divorce and pretty awful s- situation and brought a lot of pain for all of them, especially for him and his sister. And, and, then, and then many years later... Uh, his parents got things right with the Lord, and and this is funny, they never remarried, but they live across the street from each other and see each other every day. And they go to the same church, and they hang around all the time. And this contentious, awful, you know, the 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 pain and the the tension of years has God has turned it around and made it friendship and brought the family back together. Fascinating. God, but it's not what they pictured. Them living across the street from each other is not what anyone pictured. But there's something that God wants to do in our lives where it's, it may not be exactly what you picture. But if you bring to him this needs to be rebuilt and trust him with the process, I believe he will answer you and he will lead you through the steps of rebuilding whatever that is that's broken. And remember, you will face opposition, you will face frustration, and you will need others. That's just being human. So it's unfortunate, but it's part of how we find ourselves. But how cool that we get to support each other in rebuilding. And I believe that through our community groups, especially a lot of those conversations are going to be happening. of What's God rebuilding in you, and how can I help? How can I pray? And after the service today... Um, we're going to have some people available to pray with you. And, and so I would just love for you to take that opportunity. And so Scott and Julie, would you guys be inside? And Michelle is going to be outside if you want to grab her, if you'd rather pray outside with somebody. And, uh, and we'd just love to pray with you before you get out of here. So let me, let me just wrap it up with this. What will it take to rebuild that thing that has been bugging you that's been on your mind? If you say, I have no idea... It's a good place to start. It's a good prayer. Sometimes in my life when something's hard, I don't know how to fix this. I just know it's on my mind. And I'll just bring that to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, help me me know how to look at this. And I want to ask you right now, bring that thing to the Lord right now. Maybe if you have brought it to him 100 times before, this is 101. That's okay. Remember the parable of the persistent widow? She kept bringing it to, to the judge. And God tells us, if it's important to us, keep asking. And here's the other thing. Maybe you've never brought it to him because it's too personal, it's too hard, it's too whatever. Bring it to him. Nothing is impossible for him. Ephesians 3 says, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Look at that. It's not about you. If God wants to do a thing, ask him to do it. If he put it on your heart, ask him. It's not about us. It's his power. He is able to do it, not me. And he will restore and rebuild stuff that we think is impossible. And here's the other thing I've been thinking about. You know how the people were in despair, and and the problem was that that it was like um, the city was broken down, and and it kind of made the Lord look bad, if I were to say it that way. The temple was, was decimated. The city walls were down. The nation was disbanded. Their, their hub of faith was broken down. And the God, the creator of all, didn't look faithful to his people in that moment because they were not faithful to him. I believe that God wants to rebuild some stuff in our lives that, in a way, doesn't paint him right as his people, We need to be people of restoration, people who take risks, people who have relationships with people even though it's difficult. He wants to restore some stuff in us so that people believe in him. So they're going to look at your life and go, wait a minute. How did you make peace with so-and-so? And And they're going to know that he's real. And they're going to look at parts of our lives that have been burned and broken down, that get healed and, and restructured, and they look good and healthy, and they're going to say, like, wait, what happened? And it's going to prove to him that he's real, that he's true, that his people really believe in his word. So that's our prayer. What will you ask God to do? Ask him right now, and let's pray about it. And, And remember not to do it alone. So I want to pray a prayer for you. Um, I want to ask if if you want to pray just a a risky prayer of something that's broken, something that's burned, just hold out your hands just in front of you and go like, just as a picture of Lord, I bring you this thing. And I have a thing, so I'm doing this too. I actually have two things. So, uh, Lord, we bring you these things in our lives that look broken and burned and we don't see resolution. We don't know what's going to happen. But Lord, we know that you've put them on our hearts. We know that you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's what we're asking for. We don't know how you're going to answer, but we ask that, Lord, you would answer. So this year, in 2022, we bring you these issues, these broken and impossible things, and we ask Jesus that you would reign over them, that you would bring hope and help and healing where we think it's impossible. And Lord, help us also to tell somebody else what we're praying about and invite them into the process. Help us, Lord, to not walk this road alone because you've given us each other. And Lord, if we've been isolated, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that you would break our hearts for others, not just for ourselves. And Lord, that you would reconnect your body. Lord, would you heal these things for your glory and may we look back on this year as a year of healing, restoration, and building beautiful things that will honor you forever and and give glory to your name lord and we ask that in jesus name and everyone said amen well, let's sing a sing one more song